good to be together as Christians. It's my blessing to stand before you at this time and to present the Word of God. Uh, we're going to take a look at in the study of uh, the book of Ephesians. And we'll do kind of a survey of the book of Ephesians on a very specific subject, on the subject of the Holy Spirit. So that'll be coming up in a second. Uh, during the announcements this morning, Rachel showed me a comic, and it was a man coming up to the preacher and saying to him, your sermon was directed at, was very much directed at me this morning, uh, especially uh, when you pointed at me and said my name for the third time. So I thought that was pretty funny. Um, I haven't had to do that yet. Um, and I thank God. I've been preaching for over 15 years. I yet have to point at somebody. Uh, the Bible says a way to address that is to handle it one-on-one, of course, and then two or three. But I thought it was pretty funny. And uh, I asked Rachel, I said, where'd you get that from? She said, your mom posted it. And so I was like, all right. So I guess we have the same sense of humor. So this morning we look at the subject of the Holy Spirit, and I've been wanting to do a series on this. I was looking back on my notes, and I had done a series on a Sunday night on 12 sermons on the subject of the Holy Spirit and what He does. It did, and every single verse I could find on the Holy Spirit, I just, everything, we, we went through it. And over the last few years, I've just been assuming and thinking, everybody remembers that and when I preach on that, and probably not. So uh, I want to go back and look at a lot of these things the Bible says in regards to the Holy Spirit that are amazing and wonderful, edifying and encouraging. So we'll be looking at these things in regards to God's Holy Spirit. And so as I was looking through this, um, usually when I go to talk about the Holy Spirit, I'll go to the book of Galatians or Romans or maybe the book of Acts. But Ephesians is packed full of references throughout uh, on the subject of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at Him and uh, how He was sent to reveal all truth to the apostles and prophets and what He does for us today as Christians. Uh, and I hope, again, this is very encouraging to you. Uh, I think it's a good time right now to go on. Let's pray together and we'll get into our study. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you are gracious and loving to us and we thank you for this day that you've given us. Father, we ask your blessings upon us now as we study your holy word, as we study these scriptures. May they have an effect upon our hearts and our minds. May they continue to change us. May we carry them with us wherever we go. Father, we thank you for the strength that you give us by your Holy Spirit, for the great blessings that come through him, through the revelation of your word that has come by your spirit through the apostles and prophets. Father, we thank you for those, those wonderful things uh, that you have given us. May we never forget them. Now, Father, we ask to give you strength, uh, strength now. Uh, Father, bless us to be lights in this world, and we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we look at the subject of being sealed by the Holy Spirit. It's an interesting passage, and I come across it. Uh, there's a few places in the Bible we read about being sealed. And so what does it mean to be sealed? And we think about, you might think about things being sealed in the Bible. Maybe the tomb of Christ, you could think about being sealed. Um, you might think about uh, an engraving of a stone. You might get that picture. I usually get the picture of a wax stamp as a seal. All those things uh, represent an authorizing mark. Another seal would be, 
being the, the mark of the Lamb that we read about in the book of Revelation, where if you're faithful, then you have that figurative description of being marked with the Lamb. All these things come to mind this morning because our theme for the year has been walking in the Spirit. And I thought it very fitting the beginning of this month, and, I, and I'll possibly carry this on for a few other uh, studies, uh, because I cannot exhaust, and I've talked about it before, I've done a whole survey, it took 12 lessons uh, of going through the subject of the Holy Spirit, and I could probably do many, many more uh, on this matter. And I think there's a lot of ignorance that goes along with it uh, that we want to avoid and that the world has too, uh, that we want to make sure that we're following what the Spirit has revealed to us in the Bible, because his, this is His product. As we study the Word of God, we see God's Spirit, as it says in Zechariah 7 verse 12, as the Spirit spoke through the prophets and through the writings of the past and through the Scriptures. Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 1. He speaks about the Holy Spirit uh, giving revelation uh, through those men and how it is inspired by God and by Him as He guided those men. As a part of our Scripture reading this morning, Craig had read for us, for us from John chapter 16, and there Jesus, the night on which He was betrayed and the very next day He would be crucified, He told His disciples, it's a good thing that I go away, because when I go away... And after I've been crucified and I'm buried and resurrected and He ascends to the right hand of God, He says, I will send my Holy Spirit upon you. And He says there, I'll send my Holy Spirit to do those specific things in regards to the mission as far as convicting people of sin and teaching of the coming judgment and all of those things. And He says, I will give them and guide them into all truth. So that's a wonderful thing to think about. So as we look at what the Holy Spirit has given to us, and He's given us the Word of God, when I want to know about the Holy Spirit, I want to first go to the Bible. Because there's a lot of ideas out there. You hear some, from, some very strange claims about the Holy Spirit. And I might share a few of those in a minute, um, if they again come to my mind, that I have heard even recently in regards to this subject matter. Uh, but we're looking at walking in the Spirit. And we've talked about that before, walking according to God's Word and what it produces in us and the strength and the ability that God's Holy Spirit gives as He dwells within us. And we'll look at that some more this morning. All right, so let's go to Ephesians, and we're going to walk through them. So I'm going to hit through Ephesians. you got Ephesians 1. You should be able to follow through, mostly. There's a little bit of back and forth and overlap all the way down to the last chapter in chapter 6. But this is what we see in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. And what stands out to me here is the word spiritual, because it's, again, same word for the spirit, pneuma. And he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And then he goes on there, and Paul talks about all the blessings that are in Christ, your salvation, your redemption, the forgiveness of sins, and that you have a guarantee of your inheritance and salvation, the inheritance of a, that you have with eternal life in the country that is that it, the heavenly country that is promised to us all of these things are confirmed to us and so he's talking about that here and we see the the, the place where the which we receive blessings from the holy spirit so you go down a little bit further in chapter one and look at verses 13 and 14 that i want to emphasize and launch into the message this morning in him again in christ we have all of these blessings he says you also trusted after you heard the word of truth so you hear the word of god and therefore you trust you believe in christ 
And he says here, that word of truth is the gospel. It's the good news of your salvation at whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. In other words, the Holy Spirit that you read about in the Old Testament that was promised to God's people that we read about in Ezekiel and Joel, Joel and other places. He has come, and Christ has promised Him. And then you've been sealed. You've received the Holy Spirit on your heart when you were baptized, when you become a Christian, and you have the seal of the promises of God. He is a guarantee. And so some people might be thinking about that. Yes, but what more is there? There's got to be more. Do I, how do I know that the Holy Spirit dwells within me? That He's in my heart? That He's active in my life? Those are some questions that would come to my mind, and probably in yours as well. So again, he says, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance. So I have a guarantee from God. How do I have it? By the Holy Spirit. And then the question is, is yeah, but how is the Holy Spirit a guarantee to me? How is he a guarantee? How is he that a seal, mark of God's authority of everything that he's given to me of the inheritance? And what is that inheritance? Is eternal life? It's the resurrection on the day to come. It's the heavenly, um, it's the heavenly kingdom, the eternal kingdom that is promised to us. All those things that have been promised, we can, we can add more to that list definitely here from the context if you're reading along. And then he says you're here about that inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession. Christ has purchased the possession of his people and of his kingdom. He is the king. He has bought it with his blood. And then he says here, to the praise of his glory. All right. So we've got some questions as I'm looking at this and I'm studying the subject of the Holy Spirit. Because you hear there's a lot of different churches out there saying some things. And are they based in the Bible? Where are they getting it from? And one of the things that often comes up is when you question that, they'll, they'll question you back. You know, I've had people say that to me. Um, I... I remember recently talking to uh, a preacher and I asked him, he was a part of a, a charismatic church. I said, what are you preaching on Sunday? And I think I've asked him that more than once. And he always seemed to take a high position of superiority and say, well, I don't have anything prepared. The Holy Spirit will guide me in that. Well, if you're good at a prompt to preaching and, and so forth, and you preach from God's word that way, um, that's another matter. But you, you get these strange things like he, he reacted in a way where you shouldn't be studying or preparing or, or doing any kind of preparation before, before preaching a message. Um, so you, I hear that. And sometimes people will make us question that. People will often talk about, oh, you're in the churches of Christ and your church is a dead church. The Holy Spirit's not alive in your church. You're not filled with the Spirit because you're not dancing in the pews and speaking in angelic tongues and so forth. You don't have healings in the church and so forth. And you go back and you read the Scriptures, you don't see that taking place in the assembly. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 14, it says, don't speak in another language in the assembly unless you have an interpreter. It was a gift given by God that those back then could have um, either given by God directly by the Holy Spirit to the apostles or hands laid on that they had the gift to speak in another language. If someone today said, I just got the gift automatically to speak Chinese, I'd be like, okay, I can't deny that. Are you speaking Chinese? Someone says they're speaking Chinese. You can't say anything about that. God just gave them the ability to do that. And, And 
then I would recognize that. And then what would you do with that gift? Well, the Bible says that gift would be to take the gospel to people who speak in Chinese. That's the point of it. And that's what we see throughout the Bible. But you see strange things happening in a lot of churches, things that aren't Bible-based, and it seems very peculiar. And so I want to, you know, lovingly uh, correct those by just saying, let's go back to what the Bible says. For a long time, I've been convinced that I... I can't convince anybody of my own opinion. You know, I don't know if you feel that way. It's like, this is my opinion. And people are like, you're weird. You know, and so I have my own opinions, you know, especially about the things that I eat and the things I, I do and the way that I live my life, um, you know, that are personal that and I, I'm going to have the right to, to think about as far as like, uh, you know, what kind of food I eat and things like that. So I have some personal ideas about that. And I can't ever convince anybody, you know, when it comes to my favorite football team, I can't convince anybody you know you're either you're usually born in your family to what team that uh that you like so one thing i do want to do though is when i get up to preach is my opinions i I've, for a long time they don't mean anything to anybody so what i want to do is just present to you again the word of god and you draw from it you've got to take from it and you've got to pull from it and that's what i see that the apostles and prophets have done and the writers of the bible have done um, and we want to continue to do that. So as we ask questions about the Holy Spirit, uh, going back to our subject here and drawing from the Bible, how would I know that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee for me of that eternal um, uh, of eternal life? So we're going to look at some more about that. And as I brought up before, you might get the accusation of, well, you don't believe in this about the Holy Spirit, then you're quenching the Holy Spirit. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, there's a warning there about not quenching the Spirit, not quenching uh, prophecies. And those back then who would, who would stand up and stop that kind of thing, of course, that would be wrong. And then you also get accusations today where if you say that what a, a certain church is doing, you don't see it as actually coming from God's Spirit, but coming from somewhere else, maybe even demonic. Well, you do have to be careful about that because the claims against Jesus were made that, that um, and they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit when they said that Jesus spoke by the demon. So you better be very, very careful about that. So what do you do in that? Because some people want to take this high ground of setting aside the Word of God in the Bible and make these big, bold claims about what they think and they say they know about God because He has directly revealed it to them. Some claim to be modern-day apostles and prophets. What we see in the Bible is that Christ's apostles had the ability to pass on gifts, and singularly gifts, and that when the apostles died, and those who had those abilities died, and the Word of God has been fully revealed and given to us in the New Testament, we read in places like 1 Corinthians 13 that those things would cease, that they would, they would stop, that miracles through the hands of men would, would end. Now that doesn't mean that God doesn't continue to do wonderful and amazing things, and wonderful things that you, we might even describe as miracles today. But it's not through the hands of men. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, and Mark chapter 16, and verse 20, that those miracles and signs were done to confirm the preaching of the word. That's what they were done for. You know, if some guy comes along and he says, I got a revelation from God in the Bible, and back then Jesus came and he preached and said, I'm the Messiah, and he proved it. Why? Because he, he healed multitudes of people. He did great and amazing miracles. So those signs went along with it. So we can be very confident today that if someone does, can't affirm these things that they're claiming to get directly from God, that we don't have to accept it. And find, you know, even in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 18 says, don't accept it. 
Deuteronomy 18, verses 18 and 19, you can go read it and look at it for yourself. Actually, I think it's Deuteronomy 18, 20 and following. You'll read about that. All right, so let's look at this. Being sealed by the Holy Spirit, you have this authoritative mark of God, a guarantee upon you in, your, in yourself that God has given you the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? So a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 to 22 says, He who has established with you in Christ has anointed us in God, who has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So we, just like the passage we just read from Ephesians chapter 1, and verse 13, we hear it he- echoed here that we have this seal from God, a guarantee from our Creator of His authority that we have eternal life. And how do we know this? Because the Holy Spirit dwells within our hearts. The Holy Spirit dwells within our hearts. How do I know the Spirit dwells within my heart? Those are good questions, things to think about. We see here in the book of Ephesians again in chapter 2, Paul talks about the church coming together, Jews and Gentiles, into one body, and that they make up a body and they make up the new spiritual temple of God. And that God has His own people, His own temple. And that this temple, we are stones in that temple, and our foundation isn't what everyone thinks in our own opinions. It's the foundation of the apostles and Christ as the cornerstone. That's exactly what we read right here. And that we are that temple of God because God God dwells in His people. He dwells in His church. He dwells in us. As a dwelling place of God, it says right here in Ephesians 2 and verse 22. Notice there at the end that we're whole building being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, and which you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit or by the Spirit. And so we know that God dwells within us in that way. So one way that I know that I have the seal of the Holy Spirit is because God God says that the Spirit dwells within me. You know, I might be thinking, well, can I feel something? Is there something else that comes along with that? Well, we're going to get to that. But one thing I can stand on right now is I know what the Bible says, as it's been revealed by the Holy Spirit, that when I become a Christian, that God's Spirit dwells within me. So I can know when, the, when I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, when I've been saved. And so we see passages like Acts 2.38. Remember that? The day of Pentecost, Peter preaches and he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But we have that promise from God to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's been some discussion over that of what that means. Um, some have said maybe that was just miraculous to that setting. But we look at other passages throughout the Bible and we see People receiving God's Holy Spirit when they are baptized. In Matthew 28, when Jesus commands baptism, it's in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so some have said, and you might hear this today from some churches, they'll say, well, first you have a spiritual awakening, which is a kind of a baptism, and then you have water baptism, but that really doesn't matter, and it doesn't, it's not, has no consequence on your life. And then they'll say, but what really matters is you get baptized by the Holy Spirit after that. What are they teaching? They're teaching two, sometimes three different baptisms. And they're teaching things that I personally, I cannot draw out of the Bible. I cannot find it when they, when they say these things. I see this in the Bible that when I am washed in Jesus' name, when is that? There's a number of passages that tell us about that. Acts 22 and verse 16, arise and be baptized and we'll, um, and we'll 
Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And so you can see that in Acts 22, 16 and elsewhere, that the Holy Spirit washes us. He sanctifies us. That means He makes us holy. He justifies us. That means He makes us right before God by Jesus Christ when we're washed in His name. And it is by the Holy Spirit that He does that. 1 Corinthians 6, 11. We see this as well, the blessings of salvation that are given to us throughout the Scripture. So when I'm saved, definitely that's when I would receive the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says when I'm baptized, I'm baptized by the Spirit into the one body, into the church. So when am I added to the church? Well, Acts 2 again says it's when I'm baptized in Jesus' name. So I have a confirmation in God's Word that God's Spirit comes to dwell within me. Now, You do have warnings in the Bible, like 1 Corinthians 6, about God's Spirit dwells within you, and you're the temple of God, so don't sin. Don't do these evil things, because God's Spirit dwells within you. Very true. Good warning right there for us to listen to. And then you start thinking about that. Okay, God's Spirit dwells within me. Does the Spirit do more within me, or for me, within my heart? So how can I recognize, again, the blessings of the Holy Spirit dwelling in my heart? Because if He dwells within my heart and He dwells within me, what is produced from that? What fruit comes from that? You know, automatically just saying that, you might think about the fruits of the Spirit. And that's true. That God's Word, by His Spirit, produces the fruit of the Spirit, all nine of them that we read over there in Galatians chapter 5, 22-23. Or to stay in Ephesians, I want you to look at this. And I think this is another central passage this morning, so I don't want to overlook it at all. Here you have Paul talking about his prayer and how he gets down on his knees to pray for this church in Ephesus. Ephesians 3, 14-15, Paul says, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family of God in heaven and on earth is named. They're all named after Christ. That's why we go by Christian or of Christ, the churches of Christ. And He would grant you according to the riches of His glory. What has God given to us? What is Paul praying for the church? He could pray a lot of dozen different things, but right here he's very specific. I want this for you. I want you to be strengthened. I want you to be strengthened. With what? With the power. With the might. From where? Through the Spirit in the inner man. So I've been... I would make the case to you this morning, drawing out of the text, that I see right here that I have a strength from God's power in my inner man that is given to me. That is the work of God's Holy Spirit. I definitely have His Word, which is also to be dwelling within my heart. It is a tool of the Holy Spirit. And I find, personally, that I have inner spiritual strength from God by His Holy Spirit in the inner man. Now we can allow that to deaden within us. We can live in sin and we can quench the Spirit and we can cut those things off. But this is what we see here. We're strengthened by the might through His Spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. The Bible talks about how the Word of God is to dwell in our hearts, how the God the Father dwells in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, 1 John 3 and verse 24. The Bible tells us about the uh, indwelling of Christ right here by faith in our hearts. How? Again, by the strength of God given to us uh, in the inner man. So I would make the case to you this morning one way that you know that you are sealed by the Holy Spirit, that you are saved, is that you're strengthened within by God's Spirit. Ways to know this. Now... I'm going to make an inference here. You take it or leave it. All right, from my experience, I'm strengthened every time I get to read from God's Word. I feel strengthened right now just reading this text. 
All right. Uh, so when I read God's word, when I'm prayerfully going through God's word, when I'm implementing it and doing good for others, when I'm partaking of communion, I have I feel the strength given to me by God. I know that strength. But as I'm reading this, you know, the book of Ephesians goes on and tells us more about that strength given by God's Holy Spirit in the inner man. I want you to look over in Ephesians chapter six. You go to Ephesians six. You remember this, the armor of God. You know, you go to Sunday school, you learn about the armor of God. So finally, my brethren, he says, be strong in the Lord. Take up the strength that God gives you and in the power of his might. Same words, same language that we just read from Ephesians 3.16. Paul's praying for this and now he's telling them this is how you do it. You have a strength by the Holy Spirit in your inner self to do something, to act. And what is that? He says to put on the whole armor of God. Put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It reminds me of the book of Romans. Romans says, if you set your mind on the Spirit, you will live by the Spirit. And by the Spirit, in Romans 8 and verse 13, you put to death sin. Right here he's saying, by the strength given to you by God in the inner person, you put on the armor of God. You stand up against the wiles of the devil. You stand up against sin. And not to read the whole thing, but I'll go on a little bit further. Look at the armor of God here, Ephesians 6, 14 through 16. He says, stand therefore. There's that idea of strength again. Having girded your waist with truth. Put on the belt of truth so you can move. Having on the breastplate of righteousness. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Being able to move with the gospel uh, where it takes you because you have the ability to share the truth. And he says, and above all, take up the shield of faith by which you are able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. You're able to stand against evil and wickedness because you take up that shield of God. God has given you the strength and the ability to do that. Keep reading verses 17 and 18. And we see, take up the helmet of salvation. And what's he say there? The sword of the spirit. So the Holy Spirit has an instrument which He's given to us, and that is the Word of God. He says, you take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, and you fight. And you stand up against evil, and you engage in battle. Why? Because God's giving you the strength to do that. And in that, I can go back to Ephesians chapter 1 and say, I have an, a guarantee, and I have a seal, the work of the Holy Spirit, because I have the strength and the ability to do these things. God has given it to me. The world doesn't have this. We do as Christians. And then we read here, praying always with all prayer and supplication by the Spirit or in the Spirit. By that strength, by the power of which God has given to us in the inner man, that we pray, being watchful to this end and with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Continue to pray for all. I want you to keep listening right here, but look at what else is revealed about the Holy Spirit in the book of Ephesians. So, you know, a lot of people today will say, well, you have the Holy Spirit, then you don't really need the Word of God. And they'll take passages like uh, John chapter 16, when Jesus says, the Spirit will guide you into all truth. And they'll say, see, if I have the Holy Spirit, He teaches me everything, I don't really need the Bible. All right? And if you go look at that in context, Jesus is talking to who? The apostles, whom He gave the Holy Spirit to guide them in all truth. He wasn't saying to all Christians. In fact, here in the book of Ephesians, we see Paul saying, this mystery, the gospel, which has been prophesied to come for all this time, it's now being revealed, and I'm writing about it to you, and it's been revealed by God's Holy Spirit through the apostles and prophets. Here it is, right there. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom in Revelation again, in Revelation, and it says here in Ephesians chapter 1, and he, how, does, how do we have wisdom? 
How do we have revelation from God? It's by the knowledge of Jesus Christ and it's by the Holy Word of God, the Scriptures. As I've made reference to some of those passages before, but look at this. Ephesians 3, this is why you need to read your Bible and to, to know the strength that God gives you. Ephesians 3, 3-5. Paul revealed how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, that is, that the, the gospel, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read. So Paul intends for those to read these, the scriptures, to know the mystery, the, the gospel of God, that you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So here again, we see that that knowledge has been revealed by the Spirit through the apostles and prophets. And we can know the strength that the Holy Spirit gives us when we take that tool, that sword that Christ has given to us, and we use it, and we read our Bibles. I encourage you, wake up every day and begin your day with reading the Word of God. Read a verse or two. Prayerfully read it. Read a chapter. Read just a paragraph. Read it until you know that you've been strengthened by God that day. And you carry that word with you. Take it with you. Another question that comes out in reading the book of Ephesians that seems to put an end to this is a lot of different thoughts and beliefs out there among believers that shouldn't be there. The Bible says that we should be united and, and Christ prayed for that, that our unity of oneness. But why do so many believers differ regarding what the Holy Spirit has revealed? And again... I think it's clear. So many of them have thought their own feelings of coming directly from God and that they can say and do things that are contrary to what the Holy Spirit has revealed in the Bible. But I want you to notice what the Bible says on this. The Bible commands Christians to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How can we keep unity? How can Christians do that? We are to maintain it. We're to work at it. And right after that, he gives us, here's seven ones he gives us. He says, we got one this, one this, and one this. He gives seven of them. And you read it right here, Ephesians 4. He says, there's one body. So this is a part of our unity, that you believe there's one church, that Christ has saved one people, that there's one spirit. It's not multiple spirits, but one Holy Spirit. And he says, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling. And what is that? That's the hope of the resurrection. So this is a part of our unity that we as Christians, and there are many today who claim to be believers who don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. He says that's the one hope. And then you have one Lord, Jesus Christ. There are some today who will say, oh, I believe, but I don't think Jesus is the Son of God, or I don't think Jesus actually rose from the dead, or I don't think that Jesus is actually God come in the flesh. They're not in alliance with what the Word of God says. They're going by what they just think. And there's a lot of charismatic churches out there that say they have the Holy Spirit who will say those things. I've heard it. There's one faith. There's one that we believe in. The Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the one who died and was buried and rose again. That's the one faith, the very basis. There's one baptism. So again, back to the very beginning, when I talked about multiple baptisms that people believe in, the Bible says there's one. It's the one that Jesus commanded in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. That the book of Acts shows us that it's in water in the name of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. To wash away your sins so that you come in contact with the blood of Christ so that you're saved. It's the one baptism. And then the Bible says there's one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And so there's one God. So even that among many who claim to be believers has been questioned. But we see here what the Bible teaches us. It teaches us we can be united. It tells us that the Holy Spirit has given us the ability to do that. 
And so as we have these blessings from the Holy Spirit, we're also encouraged here to put away sin. Not to grieve the Holy Spirit by the way that we talk or the way that we behave. The Bible says here, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Put away all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking. Uh, Put it away from you with all malice. In other words, be kind to one another, he says. He says, be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God also forgave you. At the very beginning of this passage about not grieving the Holy Spirit, he says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. You know, that goes a long ways to keeping unity to keeping family together, to doing the right thing, allowing the Holy Spirit to live and to be seen in you. We want those fruits to be seen. As Christians, I make the plea to you this morning, the passages that we've seen that, uh, that, that we need the power of God given by His Spirit. We need it for the strength. We need it. We need Him to be within us to fight the battle against evil. So what role does the individual believer have in the indwelling of God's Spirit? We've seen a little bit of that this morning. And in closing, I want to share with you this passage here. Some have kind of taken it out of their hands and said, well, there's nothing I can really do. God's Spirit will come and go as He wills. What does the Bible say? This is what we see here in Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. The Bible says, do not be drunk with wine. The word drunk there means don't be overflowed, don't be filled with alcohol, with wine here, uh, which is dissipation. It's a wasteful indulgence. He says, rather, and contrary to that, be filled with the Spirit. That's a command from God. It's a command from God that we see this morning. I want to know that I'm sealed, that I have eternal life, and yet I have a command from God to be filled with the Spirit. And when I'm filled with the Spirit... There's many ways in which we've seen this morning that God manifests that in us, but here's one, another. If you're filled with the Spirit of God, you're going to this. You're going to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Another manifestation of the work of the Holy Spirit in our inner person is that we sing, that we praise God. We do it together. We encourage one another in it, and it's a part of our life. Fascinating passages as we've done a survey and looked at. I think we've touched on every passage on the subject of the Holy Spirit in the book of Ephesians this morning. I encourage you, don't overlook God's Spirit. If you haven't become a Christian, you need to put on Christ in baptism. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When you rise from baptism, all your sins will have been washed away because you've confessed your faith and you've already repented of your sins before you're baptized. And the Bible says in Romans 8, as you can clearly see right here, if anyone does not have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. You've got to have the Spirit of Christ. And he needs to be alive and well in your life. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Whatever your needs are this morning, I encourage you to come right now. Let's stand and sing.